Hey everyone, welcome to episode four of Dr. Dad's Clinical Pearls. I'm Dr. Karen Hanna, and that is Dr. David Hanna. We all know he's the reason why you guys are here. So today we are going to talk about TMJ or TMD, depending on how you've learned it. Um, it's a very large topic, and I know a lot of you are super excited to hear about TMJ because we don't really get a lot of it at school unless you took um you know, some additional courses or an elective or picked another instructor's brains or, and the list goes on. So we didn't really get a whole lot. It was kind of one of those things, just be careful and stay away from it. At least that was kind of the vibe that I got at school. Um, TMJ has, if you don't know the whole story, that's a whole other, that's a whole other thing of how TMJ really has affected my life. Um, from me personally and from growing up and some patients that we ran into when I was younger. So I wasn't a doctor yet that, um, I remember hearing and seeing and just being involved with. Um, so TMJ is definitely one of those things that sparks my interest, but, um, dad, you're kind of a TMJ guru as people call you. (laughs) So I know you just shake your head. You guys can't see this, but he's shaking his head. Um, So let's just start with a basic TMJ coursework. Like how do you assess somebody for TMJ or or TMD? (laughs) Just just like the headache. It's like, okay, why is the sky blue? Uh, (laughs) You know, big, big questions. Well, I think what's important for TMJ is, um, first off, it is uh, multifactorial, meaning that... um, there are different components and different causes. And it is important for the chiropractor to be able to acknowledge that there are other areas outside our realm that that we need to have at least some idea to assess. Just as a reminder uh, of, there are predominantly four areas uh, for TMJ work. And, And the one that most people can appreciate is the the dental phase or the malocclusal problems that can occur. So certainly with TMJ, there are uh, the dental components that could be, um, you know, the osseous relationship of the TMJ and the fossa could also be the presence or absence of teeth or, you know, uh, uh, fillings, et cetera, something that will change the, the overall relationship of the articulation of the teeth. So there is the dental component. Another part that's important to appreciate is a cranial import, uh, component because the, it has a number of the cranial sutures involved. It has the sphenoid, it has the ethmoid, it has you know, the temporal bone, it has just different parts of the cranium and it too can affect what happens in the TMJ. Uh, so if a person has some kind of cranial distortion, uh, it can. Then there is sort of a a nebulous area that's sort of all-inclusive for dietary and psychological. For example, if people are under a lot more stress, they have a tendency to clench their teeth. Or there are certain things that, that, um, you know, when uh, they're, they're, they're chewing or just the overall diet that they might have can have some part to it. Sort of the last part then is the chiropractic realm, which is the neuromusculoskeletal type. Um, And so I think that it's important to anyone that looks at 
TMJ or has a patient that comes in with TMJ is to know that it is many components. Now, when someone comes in, uh, the typical things that they would say to, to me that would make me want to uh, evaluate it from a chiropractic perspective is they may have associated headaches, but generally they'll talk about the fact that my jaw clicks or pops when I open it or close, or uh, I grind my teeth, or um, I clench my teeth, or, or my face is sore, you know, my muscles are sore. Now, sometimes you might have someone say that, you know, they have problem um, with swallowing. Uh, you know, case in point, I had a young girl just this past week that two or three years ago, she was assaulted in the school playground with somebody choked her. And um, she'd had all these, you know, TMJ related problems that no one associated with the fact that she'd been choked. When in fact, it was a very simple hyoid adjustment and the digastric and it, it was a very pronounced change. So again, looking at the, the biomechanics and the neuromuscular type that we can do um, is, uh, is an important part as, as chiropractor. So I look for those things to, to trigger my thought process for assessing TMJ. Okay. So chiropractically, how would you adjust it? So well, before you get to adjustment, I think the important thing is, is to be able to determine what to adjust. Yeah, no, that's where I was going. <laughs> okay. So ask your question. No. Um, so I'm saying, you know, when you check the jaw, you feel if one side is more pronounced than the other, if you feel like one of the condyles is catching up with it. So you feel it coming out more. Um, how do you know which side to adjust, which direction to adjust, um, all those things. Okay. I, I mean, that's jumping a little bit further. It's like, you know, the, yeah, it's quite a ways in there. What I look for first off is any kind of pronounced facial asymmetry. Okay. Uh, there are, you know, you have the patient, uh, you know, clench their teeth, for example. And so I look to see how they, uh, the incisors, they line up. The central incisors ideally should line up and they may or may not. And if they're off to one side, that may imply that there's a dental or dentition issue. Then what I get them to do is I have them open their mouth and I'm looking for one of two things. Um, when they open their mouth, it is conceivable that the jaw will move away from midline and it will come back. That's referred to as a deflection. Or when they open their mouth midline and they, they open it as far as they can and it's away from midline but doesn't come back, that's called a deviation. Each one of those will mean something different. But it's the deflection that says, okay, as a chiropractor, we can work on that. Uh, deviation is a little bit more problematic and, and often requires a, a team effort to do that. But there's two motions that occur in the jaw. And so we have to look at the biomechanics. And what I mean by that is, is there are, there's rotation and then there's translation. So within the TMJ, 
the condyle has to rotate first, and then it has to slip or slide down what's called the articular eminence. And that's referred to as translation. Now, sometimes that translation may move lateral to some extent, but that's what you do. So the first thing I do is I feel within the, the condyle within the TMJ. Uh, usually the patient is supine because they're a little bit more relaxed. And I have them open their mouth just an eighth of an inch. You just get them to the initial, you know, movement of the jaw. Because what you're looking for is the jaw itself should rotate. More often than not, that little part is missed in many different chiropractic assessments. A lot of people say, well, you know, it's not moving here, it's moving too much this way, and we traction, we adjust, we thrust. But in fact, you have to correct the rotation first. And that's within, like I said, the first eighth of an inch, a quarter of an inch of the movement of the TMJ. It needs to rotate. If it doesn't rotate, the problem is a muscular problem that causes that, and that happens to be the spirilateral pterygoid. And that you can find that under the zygomatic arch. And so just a little bit of trigger point work, a little bit of pressure will relieve or improve some of that rotation. If it doesn't, it is possible to adjust it. Now, I generally would use an activator, although I can do a manual adjustment yeah, it's not very fun when you do that. No, it isn't. Manual. <laughs> no, because I do sometimes with the Thompson drop or sometimes just straight, you know, the Gonstead type. Uh, but ideally what you want when you're doing the rotation is you need to be able to palpate in the patient the, the so-called um, how the fossa, the TMJ sits within the fossa. And you have to get an appreciation of the angle of what's called the articular eminence. Because for rotation, although I usually just only have to do muscle problem, is you have to adjust parallel to that articular eminence. So if you can feel what that angle is and you say, okay, the angle should be here, parallel, you move over about a quarter of an inch or an eighth of an inch and you adjust the condyle in that angle. What angle? People can't see your face. <laughs> People can't see uh, your hands. Like I guess. This is kind of something that you got to show and you have to, you know, a good seminar would work on that one. We can arrange that. <laughs> good. Well, yeah, because it's, it's very difficult to do and it, it takes a lot of, of eyeballing of that. So once you then can adjust parallel to the articular eminence, that can restore the rotation. Then what I do is I look to see if it translates. And more often than not, one of them will start to come down the condyle and the other one ends up either being delayed or it moves too much. And that's usually the hypermobile side. Now, a lot of people adjust that thing that's moving too much. They The, the, the part that they feel comes out. Right. Okay. And yet the problem is the other side. Correct. The other, pro the other side is not translating properly. So something is causing a loss of the translation, somewhat muscular. And if I have to adjust it, I do that one perpendicular to that articular eminence to help restore some of the motion. If it still does not 
correct the deflection, then I might have to adjust the, the hypermobile side up. So it's the biomechanics basically of the, of the TMJ looking at the rotation and translation that make a difference as far as the adjusting part is concerned. Okay. So I've had my jaw adjusted several times. I have a mouthpiece, been through all that. Um, why, when you adjust the jaw, does it taste like metal? So as a patient, you get a metal taste. And I've had that with several of my patients when I adjust their jaw, their teeth feel comfortable on top of each other. They feel like, you know, like I always describe it, like, do your teeth feel like they know what they're doing? Um, and that's also another way, but a lot of people say they taste metal. Why is that? Now, what's most interesting is I have never heard that. Really? <laughs> but, okay. But what is interesting is when someone, the, this, this is something that you would know. Yep. Um, I have found uh, when people make a comment about tasting metal, um, if you look at the spleen in terms of acupuncture meridian, correlates with the spleen. So something oh, for you to check. It would. It would be spleen and stomach would be. Yeah. The spleen in particular. So something for you to check on. <laughs> I will have to dive deeper into that, but. That also can depend on where some of those points are along the face that you've adjusted and stimulated, which Correct. would make sense. Hmm. So, that's, okay. that's, it's, so it's not really, it's it, what it is, is it's actually acupuncture meridians. That you're activating when you're adjusting yeah. it. Yes. That makes sense. So, huh, see, that can be taught. Um, so, all right. <laughs> now you know. Now you've heard it. Okay. So with with uh, getting the TMJ adjusted and bringing in a dentist, how would you go about? You know, if you have assessed the patient and you're like, I really feel like your jaw is very immobile, like it's very hypermobile. Um, you need to stabilize it more what would you look for in a dentist um, to work with? Cause not all dentists are specialized in that. Um, so kind of what would you look for if you want to work with a dentist to say, you know, to partner with them? Well, there were, there were two things in particular and you, you sort of applied one is when you go to a community, it's important for any practitioner to see what other practitioners are there and what other um you know, their level of, of both training and interest and expectations. And so if you find that, you know, most dentists may not, in fact, do uh, TMJ work, they, they might refer that to an orthodontist or, they, uh, or to a TMJ specialist, TMD involvement, um, just like we would see that within chiropractic. So it's first off, it's important to find out if the dentist, in fact, does. Uh, you might find a dentist that will use uh, more the acrylic uh, uh, mouth guards or mouthpieces or the, you know, orthotics that they will use. Um, or oh, appliances. Appliances, yes. I was like, I've never heard them call it an orthotic. 
Ah, uh, yeah, they call them orthotics. Oh, okay. Uh, but an appliance is because what's an orthotic? It straightens. True. I just think of an orthotic and a shoe, and right. I don't want that in my mouth. <laughs> <laughs> no, orthotic just means to straighten something. Yeah. Yeah. So an appliance is something that could be anything. But anyway, yes, an appliance, and you know, but it's it's a mouth guard uh, appliance or, or orthotic to to just kind of balance it. So you need to see if if that is one of the uh, tools that the practitioner. The one question that I was was taught and I felt was important is is if you're in conversation with the dentist or you know patients that do. Um, you ask them if posture is important in dentistry. And if they say no, then you find another dentist. Just like if a dentist were to say, you know, are occlusal problems important to maintain neck stability? If the chiropractor says no, maybe you should find another chiropractor because they do. They are somewhat, uh, they're not mutually exclusive, but they are frequently quite dependent on each other. And so if you have that combination, you have a dentist that acknowledges that there are uh, postural distortions that can affect the jaw and affect malocclusion, then there's someone that you can work with. Um, and then you can present yourself saying, okay, I can work on the biomechanical muscular and I need someone that's going to work with me cooperatively on the malocclusal issues, because I know that that's a big part of why people may have unstable necks. Um, and that's a good way to start a correlate, uh, relationship. Perfect. That is a great question to ask. I wouldn't have thought of like how to ask, but again, I feel like I'm spoiled because I do have a different view of TMJ. If that was just like, like so important to know about when I first started school and all that. So, um, and actually, you-, you made you made one reference when you first started, uh, and I think it is an important thing um, for new new graduates in particular. Um, TMJ is a very powerful uh, uh, area, um, and it's almost the kind of area that the more you know, uh, the more cautious you get, or the more the the less you know, the more dangerous you are. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you really need to be able to. Um, you know, handle it with a white glove um, more often than not, because it can create a real nightmare. Okay. So speaking of nightmares, I know the answer to this question, but what is the worst TMJ uh, presentation that you've seen and how did you fix it? (laughs) I know. I I know the answer. Like I said, this this is really what, uh, why I think TMJ is so important and how it changed my life. So, um, yeah. Um, so I feel like, again, this is one of those for all the people that are listening. If you don't know this story, I would highly recommend you reach out to Dr. David, um, to ask him and, you know, we, this is something we can also do a special video or, or whatever of all the documentation we have of everything, because this just shows, like he's saying, if you don't know what you're doing, how you can really, really injure somebody, but you can also help them if you know what you're doing. So I'll let you answer this question. So what's the worst 
injury you've seen with a, a jaw um, and how did you fix it? In the short one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, well, first off, the, as I mentioned earlier, the, the TMJ is a very, very sensitive area and people could manifest with all kinds of symptoms uh, from headache and facial soreness to balance issues, to middle ear issues, to swallowing, choking, et cetera. So it, it's really, um, you know, it's difficult to be able to focus it in um, on one. Um, the TMJ, of course, is also important because we use it when we vocalize. It's when we use it when we swallow, we use it when we chew. Um, so it is something that is a lot of mobility. The worst, the worst case I had seen was, oh, and you know, like people have, um, everyone that's in a motor vehicle accident or some kind of deemed, deemed uh, whiplash injury uh, is potentially a TMJ uh, patient where the, it can cause a strain of the, the ligaments and of the muscle, muscles of the, the TMJ region. This particular case that, that, that I had seen was, was a patient that had sustained injuries to the, the ligaments and also some of the muscles of the TMJ. And it manifested with uh, what's called fasciculations or, or a tremor. And part of the reason to ultimately discover why, uh, it turned out that the that there was an avulsion of the neural lemma that went from one of the cranial nerves to that muscle to stimulate that muscle to contract and then had to be balanced with the muscle spindle of the, uh, the motor muscle to tell it to shut down or to be inhibited. There was a, a disconnect. And so it would manifest with uh, this fasciculations once it got stimulated by the cranial nerve, of course, cranial nerves don't fatigue. And so what it did was it would start to vibrate. And this particular nerve that went to the muscle vibrated within the face uh, three to 500 times a minute. Uh, and, it would and it manifested in the patient with uh, a myriad of types of, of symptoms between Difficulty speaking and and uh, breathing and and uh, even posturing of the head because it was like a, an overflow, like a tick, a really bad tick, a very bad tick that unfortunately, tragic. yeah, that unfortunately it looked like a nervous tick, but it was not, mm -hmm. uh, and it manifested twenty four seven unless there was an interruption in that cycle, which I had found through different uh, adjustive approaches and techniques that I tried. But what was important was to try to find the reason why it was manifesting because there was nothing available at the time to, uh, you know, help to identify. But over the course of three years, which is what it took, uh, there were in excess of 50 different professionals consulted to, to try to evaluate and to determine a cause, not just the effect. We saw what the effect was. And uh, there were many different 
uh, attempts and approaches to different things tried. But ultimately, it was a procedure that was experimental based on the Visible Man project that was done at Bethesda, Maryland at the time to create MRI images of a, a human body that identified a muscle that had previously been destroyed through normal dissections was in fact the muscle that was problematic. And uh, ultimately led to the discovery of a quote, new facial muscle, um, which was great. Yeah. But um, the procedure that, that worked was what's called a radioimmune frequency neurolysis procedure. Basically, it was an injection into the belly of that muscle that had been injured, uh, and it was cauterized. And so the cranial nerve that would stimulate it would not cause the muscle to fire. And so therefore, it did not require any motor input to inhibit it, uh, and so to, to terminate the uh, fasciculations. So it was uh, quite the journey. Yeah. So the reason why I bring that up is sometimes I feel as chiropractors, when you have a patient who comes to you, you feel bad because everyone else has turned them away. They don't have answers for it. But as a chiropractor, it's important, especially in that instance, to work with other professions, to not always just say like, I have to fix this myself, is you bring in all those other professionals because in the big picture, you want to do what's best by the patient, not necessarily for your own ego, you know, to discover a new muscle, super cool. But this particular situation was awful to get to that point. Um, and took, I mean, I remember just coming along and seeing some of those things, the multiple dentists that were across state lines and, um, you know, just hearing all these other stories and just doing various different things. So I think that, that piece is, is super important because, you weren't the only person that actually addressed this patient and figured out what was wrong with them, but it was, you were part of that story and didn't just give up on them, but you had to know that you needed help with all this as did all the other people who were involved with it. Um, but I just feel like sometimes I can get lost in the day-to-day -day thing is you think like, I have to fix this myself because this person came to me for the questions or you don't necessarily want to give up on them, even though you had never seen anything like this before. Yeah, ever. That's true. Um, yeah, so you had talked a little bit about, so how would you, that obviously was the worst case scenario that you've ever done with that. Um, did you assess that the same way as you would with, a, a, I don't want to say normal, but like as a typical TMJ patient, or how would you assess it otherwise? Um, no, I mean, initially, um, it was pretty much the same. Uh, all patients would still, you know, um, present with some kind of motion restrictions or some kind of hypermobility. Um, you know, I still would have gone through and I did the, the facial asymmetry and the rotation translation component, looking for deflection deviation. Uh, I tried to correlate. Remember, the TMJ is, is interconnected with the upper cervical. So uh, looking at the upper cervical uh, and checking the overall, you know, the C1 and 2 in particular, uh, and uh, seeing what effects that that can have, because they are part of the axis of rotation of the TMJ. It's uh, actually the posterior arch of Atlas is uh, 
the sort of the fulcrum from the TMJ. So it, it um, is in, uh, interconnected. So uh, that part of the assessment was the same. And actually that was why the patient came in was to, uh, was to have an evaluation for specific upper cervical care. And um, in the, the whole process, it was like, no, it's not upper cervical, it's TMJ. Gotcha. Um, but, you know. Um, oh, that makes sense. So even the worst case scenario can still be assessed and treated with just doing this simple, simple is the wrong word, but with doing a very, it, it, right. You know, like, yeah. Even even when people come in and, and this is something that, you know, more experienced practitioners do see, there are patients that come in that have been turned away by other chiropractors because, you know, there there's so much arthritis or there's so much, you know, uh, there's an unusual problem. But I think we lose sight of the fact that, you know, here's this person inside there and, and because I can't make it 100% better doesn't mean that I shouldn't try to do what I can. For that person, even giving them 5% is an improvement. Mm-hmm. Um, and you may be completely limited as to how much you can do. But they, they deserve an opportunity to have a little bit of both hope, but also uh, an opportunity to have someone see if they can try to do something. And, and that's always been my, my thought or my feeling. Um, you know, seeing people with, with conditions, like I said, that others won't even touch them. Um, it was like, yeah, somebody that's severely arthritic, I, I can't change that. But you know, there has to be some place that I can. Um, and it may limit, I may only do, you know, one thing and that's all, but it's something. True. So obviously we discovered TMJ when we knew this before, but TMJ is a very complex uh, topic. So um, we've already talked about this, but we're going to get you to do like an extended TMJ. Um, We have to figure it out with technology and all that, but you are going to do an extended, at least TMJ. This is how you assess it. This is how you would do it. Um, So there will be more like knowledge about TMJ. So it's coming. So don't panic if you don't see it in tandem with this episode. Um, But there definitely will be there. So make sure you're on the lookout for that. Any last closing words you have for this pod for this episode? Well, no, it would be, you know, it'd be interesting to do a survey of sorts to find out what the interest is. Um, But also, you know, with the different practitioners that do have the interest, is there someone there that they can, you know, work with, are there dentists there? Are there other professionals there? Um, it is fine and good to, uh, to, you know, to learn the information, to assess the patient, but you don't want to work in a silo. You don't want to be alone. You want to be able to uh, share. So it'd be interesting to, to get a survey of those that one, are interested, and two, you know, are there others that they can cooperate with in their communities? Um, And if not, you know, try to find someone in the neighboring community or someone within the same state or something where you can say, this is someone that, you know, you might have to work with. People don't really want to have to travel long distances, but if they are fighting a problem, um, they'll travel. Mm -hmm. They have to do to find help. So if it's 20 miles or 50 miles or 100 miles, they'll do it. If not more. 
I refer all my patients to the one that you worked with. I don't know anyone enough. So, and that's 90 miles and people travel and, you know, he's about ready to retire if he hasn't already. <laughs> but so I was like, um, I, I think it's good to have that relationship with that dentist that you trust and, you know, is going to take good care of your patients and not cut you out of it. I think that's the right. other important part. You're referring them. So you also need to know what's so, happening. So that would be something I would like to pass on or, or ask them about. Okay, perfect. Well, we will, uh, we'll make sure we get that. So you guys can find that with this episode. Um, it'll be in the back end of stuff and then, um, we can build on this. So that's all we have for you guys this week. We will see you next time.